Okay, so we are still with a topic uh, for the next seven weeks. We'll be talking about teleos, which, uh, like I said, means to bring to completion or to maturity, to bring to completion, to bring to an end, to bring to maturity, to perfect. That's what the word teleos means. So that's the topic we are on. Just want to thank guys like Prashant and Mohini and Pavan, uh, Sue, Joan, um, these guys uh, decided to stay back instead of uh, uh, joining the service so that some of us could participate. So thank you guys. Uh, so teleos means to bring to completion or maturity. And so if teleos means bring to completion, we said last week that Isaiah 46.10, where God says that I make known the end from the beginning is the best place to start. If, if we can know what completion looks like, we can go to the end and begin to work from there. And God says, listen guys, I make known the end from the beginning. As in, I do give you the final picture. I do show you what is at the end of the horizon. I do show you that so you have an idea of what you're work, walking towards. And so this week, we wanna talk about government. What does it look like when we talk about God's government? And I'm going to write with my finger and see if it works. But if it doesn't, I'd love it if someone could get me a pen. So, guys, Derek can only do this much. Praful. Yeah. So today we want to talk about government because uh, we don't realize how critical and uh, important it is to the heart of God. And so, this is a very well-run, highly organized church. Administrational skills are like top of the line, eh? Manoj, is he on camera? <laughs> okay. So, so the word government comes from a word, Kuber now, not Uber, Kuber, Kuber now, which means to steer with a rudder. That's the sense of the word. That's where the word government comes from, to steer with a rudder. If we were to define it, we would define it as a system, a system under which, a system under which the right to make laws and the right to enforce laws is given to or vested in a group or a select group living in a community, a nation or a city.
So we are trying to look at what is what does God's government look like? We hear this scripture often quoted during Christmas. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. We realize through that scripture that, ah, shucks, this is important to God because at the moment of the birth of his son who came to change the history of mankind, it starts with this line, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. So we need to explore this idea of so what did you mean, O oh God, when you said the government shall be upon his shoulders? And so Kubernau is the word they use for government. It means to steer with a rudder, as in it begins to direct the entire ship. Eh? And it's a system under which the right to make laws and the right to enforce laws is vested in or given to a particular group that resides in a city, a community, or a nation. Any questions? Okay, so now let's look at Christ and see if he fits this definition. We said last week that based on Ephesians 1, 20 to 23 from the message, uh, was which I quoted it from Ephesians 1 20 to 23 we said last week that everything is under his feet that's equation one. Second equation he is the head of the church third equation he fills speaks acts primarily through the church, through his body. Fourth, if that is the case, then the church is not peripheral to the world. Fifth equation, the world is peripheral to the church. Does this make sense? If it doesn't, tell me why. This is what government looks like. Ephesians 1 verse 20 to 23 says, everything is placed under his feet. Everything is placed under his feet. So let's assume this is Christ, then everything, every name that is named, every power that exists, every uh, title, every rank, every principality, every prince, every king, every local government, every known government on earth, everything is placed under the feet of Christ. That's the first thing. There's no contesting that. Then we find out that he, Christ, is the head of the church, which is his body. And in this body, he fills with his presence, he speaks through this body, and he acts through this body, and he has been given as head to this body, and he is above everything 
that exists. Everything is under his feet. If that is the case, then if Christ is the ultimate supreme being that exists without beginning or end, and he exists over everything else, and he is the head of the body, and he speaks through the body, he acts through the body, he fills the body with his very presence, then it follows then that the place where he dwells or the body that he occupies is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. Any questions? You, you got to understand this logically because that way at least we won't think this is pie in the sky. It's that A is equal to B, B is equal to C, so the A is equal to C thingy, which I think was how it went 40 years ago. Any questions on that, guys? This is government. Any disagreements? Okay. I'm assuming you guys are being sincere. Okay, Isaiah 9 verses 2 to 5 gives us the backdrop for that amazing statement uh, in verse 6 and 7. So if you go to Isaiah 9 verse 2 and 2 to 5, you realize that the backdrop for the ultimate passage announcing government is a backdrop or an environment of uh, arrogance, of war, of oppression, of darkness and coercion. And into that is introduced a childlike son. So let's go to Isaiah 9. It's almost as if the darker the circumstances, the more God rubs his hands with glee. So uh, let's start Isaiah 9, verse 2 to 5, which will give you an idea of how things were during those days. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned on them. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. So that's what happened with the arrival of this child. But look at it. There was a yoke upon them. There were burdens upon them. There was a bar upon their shoulders, as in shackles. The rod of the oppressor was upon them. Darkness was upon them. And... Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for fire. So it was during a time of oppression that this verse now comes to life. And then it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. So the government that he sets up, guys, uh, uh, this, is, this is a beautiful thing. In the darkness, in the oppression, in the arrogance, in the uh, deep darkness that is upon 
the earth. At that time comes a child-like son. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The, uh, what is trying to be conveyed is, hey, listen, I'll send you one who is childlike, but he is my son, and he will come to bear upon his shoulders the authority to both draft the law and to enforce it. This is who Christ is. It's pathetic when we don't step into all that Christ is. It's like having a pair of alligator boots gilded with platinum that makes music when you step into it and you leave it there and don't step into it. I don't know whether I'd go for shoes like that. But anyways, what I was trying to say is it's like having this amazing thing that you don't drive. Alligator boots with platinum gilding playing music. No, I'm quite sure I won't go for that. So the government that he sets up isn't a republic. It isn't a democracy. It isn't an autocracy. It's not even a monarchy because we normally think if he's a king of kings, this must be a monarchy. It's not. It is actually a government called God with us. This should thrill you, man. It's a very odd thing that Jesus has come to set up. He ain't saying that, listen, I want to be king, I want to be dictator, I want to be uh, the guy who orders you around. No, he says, listen, the government that I'm coming to set up is a God with us government. He's going to indwell certain people through whom he will rule. It's a God with us government. So to us, a child is born, and this child happens to manifest the presence of God in our midst and he, and he rules in our midst. Unto us a child is born who manifests the presence of God in our midst and he rules in our midst by the Spirit. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament concur on his absolute sovereignty. If you go to um, Isaiah 9 verse 6 and you read it from the message, look at what it says. Eh? He'll take over the running of the world. He'll take over the running of the world. That's what Isaiah 9 6 from the message says. He'll take over the running of the world. And then look at what Ephesians 1 that's Isaiah 9, 6. So the Old Testament said, listen, you guys, the one who lives in you, the one who is coming, the one who we are sending to Bethlehem, he is one who will take over the running of the world. That's in Isaiah. Thousands of years later, Paul in Ephesians 1, verse 21 says, God set him in charge. God set him, again from the message, God set him in charge of running the universe from galaxies to <laughs> governments. From galaxies to governments. No power exempt from his rule. No power exempt from his rule. Awesome, eh? This is who he is. 
And he desperately wants the body to begin to think like this because he knows this. His father knows it. The spirit of God knows it. The devil knows it. The devil knows it so well that he said, hey, any chance that you can worship me because I can give you all these kingdoms like you don't have to go to the cross. So the devil knows it. The father knows it. The son knows it. The spirit knows it. The demons know it. Son of God, which is basically Messiah, anointed one. Have you come to torment us before our time? Because they know there's a time that awaits. But the ones that perhaps know it and don't want to explore or discover it because eh, worship is good enough. <laughs> it's this body that chooses not to delve into this. And yet in Isaiah 9, 6, it says he'll take over the running of the world. In Ephesians 1, 21, it says God set him in charge of running the universe from galaxies to governments. No power exempt from his rule. Any questions? And this, this, this ruler, the Christ, is the same one who fills the body with his presence. He fills the body with his presence, he speaks through the body, and he acts through the body. Meaning, let's say that the world, the rest of the world disappeared and all that was left was South Vancouver. Like, yeah, something happened and all that's left is South Vancouver. And that, that would mean that Christ would begin to, and the only church that is left is us. Which would mean then that Christ would begin to speak through, act through, and fill this group of people because that's how he is going to govern the rest of what happens outside. Now let's bring the whole world back and all the other churches back. And now you have the church, the body of Christ here on earth, having the privilege of letting Jesus Christ speak through, act through, and fill us with his presence so that he can rule and govern. No power exempt from galaxies to governments across the earth right now. A day will come and everything will come to an amazing conclusion. But while that is happening, we still don't abrogate our responsibility. Any questions? Not abrogate, abdicate. Any questions? Hey, please believe this, it's true. Okay, so what does this government look like? What is its nature? The nature of the government is the nature of the governor. The nature of the government is the nature of the governor. So we're gonna look at that. What does this government look like? Because if you belong to a certain government, you should know what it looks like. The nature of the government is the nature of the governor. So here's what it looks like. One, and it's all in these two scriptures, when Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. The nature of the government emerges from the nature of the governor. Here's the nature of the governor. Amazing counselor. Amazing counselor. Which means that when it comes to this government and when it comes to the church, which is supposed to be an embassy of the government, then in the sewage pit of human thinking, this government has, or the people who belong to this kingdom, have amazing divine wisdom. You should hunger after it, eh? Christians should stand out as people who have unusual wisdom. 
You think that's not possible? In a time when the Holy Spirit did not indwell people, there was still a man called Daniel who was very ordinary. Just like some of you. There was another man called Joseph. There was another man called Mordecai. All in the Old Testament. These were men who in times when human thinking was at its peak in Babylon, peak in Egypt, peak in Rome, when human thinking was at its peak, these guys displayed amazing wisdom, divine wisdom, yearned for it. As a pastor, one of the things, and because that's my vocation, one of the things I want to do is build here correctly so, so that I can show people the wisdom that is required to build up a people of God here on earth. In your line of work, seek that kind of wisdom. Are you a dancer? Seek wisdom in dancing. Are you a dentist? Seek wisdom in dealing with your patients. At the end of the day, it's not so much your vocation. It is how do I use my vocation to draw people into the wisdom of God. So it doesn't matter whether you're working or not working, whether you're paid or not paid. This is an outstanding mark of the people of God. Ephesians 3.10 puts it this way. Ephesians 3.10 says that the church or the body of Christ is supposed to display the manifold wisdom of God to authorities, to angels, to powers. I got, a, I, got an, uh, I got a message yesterday from the ruler of a certain uh, place outside of Canada. And here's what his assistant wrote. His assistant wrote saying, uh, today is uh, this particular ruler's birthday. Is there any chance that you could um, write something and send it for him. Why? Because in the past, he's seen the wisdom of God change the man's life. On his birthday, he wants to know if he can get a little more from the wisdom of God that can help this ruler. And so I told him I'll get it done by Monday. I'm hoping God will get it done by Monday. Because it's divine wisdom, right? I can only suck up to him. God doesn't need to. So God will come up with brilliant stuff for him. You have no idea how... This government and this kingdom treasures wisdom. You read the book of Proverbs, man. What do you think brought Solomon the kind of riches and the, uh, and the acclaim that he had? Wisdom. Queen Sheba comes to his palace and says, I had heard of this, but till I saw it, I didn't believe it. Man, you blow my mind. That's what wisdom does. It blows people's minds. Like divine wisdom. Ephesians 3.10, like I said, <laughs> angels, demonic powers, principalities yearn to listen to the wisdom that comes from the body of Christ. If you don't believe it, read it. It says so there, Ephesians 3.10. And so we begin to proclaim it. We proclaim it through our life responses. M much wisdom is actually betrayed through the way you respond to a situation. What are the first words that come from your mouth? What are the first emotions that come out of you? What, are, what is your first response? We are actually first responders for the kingdom. What is, what is the first response that comes out of you when you are in a difficult situation? Because the world watches your response. If it is the same as the world with prayer at the beginning and the end, then we are no different. 
We proclaim wisdom through our lives and our words, and it affects prostitutes and it affects kings. I mean, remember that story in 1 Kings 3 where these two prostitutes come with one baby saying, this is my baby, this is my baby, and they start arguing. And what does Solomon do? He does not pull out a sword, he pulls out wisdom. Same with Paul. Paul is in uh, Acts 26 and he is before Agrippa and Festus, Roman uh, kings. And he begins to speak to the point that Agrippa says to him, listen, you're beginning to almost convert me. This truth is too much for me. I'm going to back off. I don't want to hear anymore. People will either receive or reject the wisdom that comes from your mouth. But this is what the body should be known by. I pray God that you sitting here have the ability to do this. But here, remember this, in a multitude of words, there is sin. So maybe one of the things we can do is measure our words a little more. The more the words, the more the sin. The less the words, the more the wisdom. Which doesn't mean this sermon will be any shorter. I could see where your mind was going. The next thing it says about this government, wonderful counselor, mighty king, mighty king, mighty king, as in here is a king who has ultimate power. All power originated with him, man, from him and with him. Colossians 1.16, Colossians 1.16, Colossians 1.16, I'm going to read it from the message, Colossians 1.16. Listen to what it says. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence. He holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He's supreme in the end. From beginning to the end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals, and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies all because of his death his blood that poured down from the cross let me read it from the niv i think the way the message writes is brilliant but listen to the uh, niv for in him all things were created things in heaven and earth visible and invisible thrones and powers rulers and authorities all things have been created through him and for him he is before all things and in him all things hold together he is the head of the body the church the point being guys When it comes to mighty God, there's no other king who has as much power because all power originates from him. Here's the odd thing about Jesus' power. It is a power so great that he can absorb the evil hurled at him till there's nothing left to hurl. You need to be strong to have evil hurled at you and still get up. Isaiah 53, 2 to 10. Isaiah 53, 2 to 10. Look at the the power you have to handle this. Isaiah 53. He was looked down on, passed over, suffered, knew pain firsthand. People turned away, thought he was scum. Our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself. God was punishing him for his failures. But it was for our sins that he was ripped, torn, crushed. 
He took punishment and made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. He was beaten. He was tortured. He didn't say a word. Like a lamb being led to slaughter, like a sheep sheared, he took it silently. Justice miscarried. He was led off. He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people, buried with the wicked, thrown into the grave of a rich man, even though he had never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along, to crush him with pain. The plan was that he would give himself as an offering for sin so that he would see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. It takes power to receive abuse till there is no more abuse to receive. And then it takes power so great that it disposes other powers. This Jesus Christ disposes other powers with vengeance and zeal. That's why I said earlier, the Holy Spirit is the most dangerous spirit in the world. I was listening to this story by um, a well-known preacher. He goes to a village in Africa and uh, he's got these uh, seven, eight Baptist boys with him. Uh, on a mission trip and so he's standing in this village it's remote it's like in the boonies and uh, suddenly uh, a witch doctor comes out and he's standing there and he's doing his thingy and uh, this guy is a little scared when he sees him and um, when he preaches he says the baptist boys began speaking in tongues immediately and so (laughs) but they're backing off as this witch doctor approaches and this man hasn't dealt with a witch doctor before and he doesn't know what to do and he he he's pleading with god saying please help me i've got no idea what to do and then god just drops a song in his head but it's a very odd song and he feels that he should sing it and it's a, a song by the rolling stones i can't get no satisfaction and he starts singing it he just keeps repeating that line and as he keeps repeating this line the witch doctor looks at him fear comes on his face he turns and starts running like crazy into the mountains true story man point of the story why should a Mick Jagger song make witch doctors run it should be the other way around (laughs) it's because (laughs) You have no idea how fierce and um, dangerous this God can be. What he was trying to prove to this preacher was, listen, I don't need you to say anything sometimes. When I'm with you, I have the fury, the power, and the vengeance dismantled evil. We're not dismantling people because our fight is not against flesh or blood, but against powers and rulers and princes and principalities and invisible forces, headless bodies, some versions say. This is the nature of this kingdom. We've got to get accustomed to this. It cannot be done by one person because Jesus Christ does not dwell in one person. Yes, he dwells in you, but he resides in his body. If all of Christ could be found in me and I was all sufficient, then I would become God, man. He refuses to do that. It says he rose again and gave gifts to men. He distributed himself. So it's when the whole body begins to think like this that government begins to happen. Trudeau by himself can do squat. He needs people around him. 
Third one. This government has a governor who loves being a father. So the nature of this government is that of a king who reaches out to the earth as a father, eternal father, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Remember this, eh, when you meet with people, because this king is made known through the letter that he has written, and the letter happens to be you. Paul said, you are letters written by us, not with ink, but with, but on, not with ink on stone, but in fle on flesh and blood by the spirit. Remember that this government always seeks to express fatherhood. A king who reaches out to the earth as a father. A fatherhood that does not impose, but a fatherhood that sacrifices. A fatherhood that aims at removing slavery and removing orphanhood. A fatherhood that exchanges that for sonship. This is a scripture that Liji was quoting earlier on. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 to 17. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 to 17. Let me read it from the Passion Translation. Romans chapter 8, 15 to 17. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance and folding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, for he rises up within us. Our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you're God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. I've been memorizing this through the week, everlasting. So if I represent the government of God, I must bring forth these things. That one, he has amazing counsel. That he will provide me counsel when I meet with people. That just is so divine, so full of wisdom, that it makes people think, ah, oh, shucks, how did he get to think like that? So that they write emails saying, hey, it's this ruler's birthday. Do you want to say anything? They're not asking me to say happy birthday. They're asking for more. Because they've seen what the counsel of God can do. And they're not from a Christian background. Second, that he is mighty God. Man, don't get put off when people abuse Jesus. He is got so much power, he can take abuse without wilting. But he also has the power to decimate the enemy. Like, like I said, the witch doctor running into the hills listening to Mick Jagger. He's never used that song ever since. It's usually been in the name of Jesus since that. That was a one-off. It was just to prove that I don't need you to even say things. The third one is eternal father. Remember this, guys. Present him as father. A king who reaches out to the earth as father. The, the church has done such a disfavor to the earth by presenting God as Lord and master. This, it is an absolutely essential part of who God is. But the large part of God is father. You present Lord and Savior so that you can get to the father. I've gone over this many times. But he is first and foremost a father. You miss out on the fatherhood of God. You're talking about some other God, not the Christian God. Therefore, you and I also have to have a fatherly attitude. 
towards people. Not your father's attitude, your father's attitude. That'll make no sense when they listen to the audio. Yeah. People get put off when you say fathers or fathers and sons and stuff like that. They get put off because they had really bad experiences either with a pastor or with their own dads. The, the, the truth, though, is that a distorted copy does not destroy the original. A distorted copy does not tarnish or destroy the original. So if you need to change the words, use some other words. But the attitude should be that of the fatherhood of God. Don't call it fathers and sons. It puts people off. Because words conjure images and triggers off certain memories. Use some other words, but at the end of the day, the attitude should still be that of the father. I mean, it doesn't matter what you put before broccoli. It always triggers out a certain image. Oh my God. Prashant and I had deep fried Brussels sprouts at Denny's. It's still Brussels sprouts, man. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bother. There's nothing you can do to Brussels sprouts, even if you deep fry them. Yeah. The next thing is he's the prince of peace, but I'm going to call it prince of wholeness because the actual word there is shalom. Prince of wholeness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, much loved. Uh, good sons make good fathers. The question is, how do we remain sons and fathers at the same time? Good sons make good fathers. So receive the father's love so that you can grow up as a much-loved son. A much-loved son who grows up in the, in, the, in the house of a father who loves him will dream even when thrown into prison and one, one day emerge as the prime minister of Egypt. Joseph had to learn how to dream in his father's house. That happened to him first. That allowed him then to go through Potiphar's palace, Pharaoh's prison, and finally Pharaoh's palace. Once I learn how to receive the father's love and operate as a much-loved son, it is natural for the father's love to now begin to flow through me. And if I don't know how to receive the father's love, then uh, there's not much hope for me. I'll have to really struggle. Really struggle. Remember, orphans always strive to secure what is theirs. Orphans will always strive. And orphanhood is the main disease in the world. Because the moment Adam turned his back on his father, the earth became an orphanage, producing orphans for generations. And orphanhood is so hard to break. And circumstances will always force you to think of God as one who is not a father. Circumstances are engineered by the enemy, by the devil, to make you think, you thought he would help you? You thought he really meant he will never leave you or forsake you? Look at you, forsaken, abandoned, rejected. You've always been an orphan. But remember, the contest is between the father in heaven and the father of lies. And then if you end up having an abusive spiritual father or an abusive biological father, it just messes it up completely. Or if you end up having an absent father, it messes it up even more. 
or a cynical father. Now you superimpose that image on him. And it's so hard to peel apart. Only the Spirit of God can do it. Prince of wholeness. But the strange thing is he brings this wholeness through being crushed. Isaiah 53, 5. He brought us wholeness. He brought us shalom. He brought us peace by being crushed. Odd kind of God this is, eh? which then means that even we have to understand. No, first believe this, that this this king is a specialist in giving wholeness. Shalom doesn't just mean, oh, I'm feeling peaceful now. Shalom means wholeness, as in it's a peace inside and it's a wholeness that begins to surround you. It's a wholeness that is physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, relational. That kind of wholeness this Christ gives. Never short circuit your relationship with someone by not giving them this wholeness. It is the one thing that you possess in aces, man. And remember, this living water now flows through you. You're not the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You're the one in John chapter 7 verse 37 to 39 who has living waters flow from you. The nature of the water within you, the spirit within you, is that it is a spirit that brings wholeness. If you don't believe me, read Isaiah 61 verse 1 to 3. It is wholeness. It is something that I have and it must be something that people who meet me have an encounter with. I owe the earth that. Wholeness. He's a prince of wholeness. The delivery mechanism for wholeness is grace and mercy. The delivery mechanism for wholeness is grace and mercy. As in, when people are not whole, it's best to approach them with grace and mercy if you want wholeness to flow. Have you noticed all of Paul's letters start that way? Before he says peace, he says grace. He always says grace and peace to you. In 1 Timothy um, and 2 Timothy, both the chapters, chapter, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 2, you'll see in both those letters, Paul starts with grace and mercy and peace to you. There's a definite order to it. If I want wholeness to enter your life, I have to come towards you with grace and show you mercy. Otherwise, wholeness does not flow. This is how God has always done it. How does he bring peace into your life? Hey, Betty, you want some peace? Shape up, man. That's almost never the way God has approached Betty. At a time when you need wholeness, you don't put... Oh, my... I went... When I was in Taiwan... This lady insisted on giving me a head massage because she wanted to be hospitable. And so she had me lie down on this really narrow bed. I was so scared I'd fall off. And then she put two cucumber slices on my eyes and put a cloth that was very aromatic on my nose and then took my feet and put it in a machine and my feet started spinning. And then there was whale music in the background. And then she came to massage my head. And she would grab chunks of hair and pull. That's how this is missing. So she'd, she'd grab this chunk of hair and really pull. And I would, like, I didn't know how to, like, I was a guest. They were being very kind and nice. And she, she'd pull it really hard. And I'd go, ouch, 
Ouch, I was trying to be as kind as possible. And then she would release it and then she would say, feeling better, feeling better? And I would say, yes. So what else do you say? But see, <laughs> and to add insult to injury, at one point she decided she, my back needed a massage. She was an older lady, so she took her hand, put it right inside my shirt and started massaging my shoulder. And then for all the things she can say, she said, Pastor, lot of meat there. <laughs> so, I've never gone for a massage after that. I don't know, it just brings back memories. <laughs> the point being, there is a point somewhere here. The point being, guys, when someone is feeling not peaceful, you don't go with anything else but grace and mercy. You don't pull the hair and release it and then say, feeling better? Feeling better? No. You go with grace and mercy. Wholeness flows through grace and mercy. This king is a prince of wholeness. And in the process, things get reconciled between God and man, and things get reconciled between man and man. Next one is justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness. You read in, Ephesians, uh, you read in Isaiah 9 verse 7 uh, that he establishes things by justice and righteousness. Uh, uh, the other words that you can actually use for justice and righteousness are fair dealing and right living. Fair dealing and right living. It's all good. Fair dealing and right living. Guys, if you want to see the justice and righteousness of this kingdom, go to Isaiah 58, Isaiah 58, 6 to 12. Isaiah 58, 6 to 12. I'm so looking forward to this happening in uh, Wally. Isaiah 58, 6 to 12. This kingdom, if it doesn't do this, is um, not presenting God properly. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen, to lose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked, to clothe him, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger, with malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets to dwell. This is the nature of this government. This is the nature of this government. Use your business, use your vocation, use your contacts, use your relationships to do this. You do it in Kohima, do it in Vancouver, do it in um, that uh, uh, other nation close to Vancouver, White Rock and Surrey, sorry. And do it in places like this. Just go. Yeah. 
some jokes you catch some jokes you don't last statement <laughs> this government is designed and powered by the holy spirit this government is designed and powered by the holy spirit it's a very unique government it's like tesla it's designed and powered by the holy spirit go to isaiah 11 isaiah 11 look at who the holy spirit is man isaiah 11 don't worry we'll go over this again and again and again and again isaiah 11 look at verse 2 look at who the spirit is the spirit of the lord will rest on him so he is the spirit of the lord the spirit of wisdom the spirit of understanding the spirit of counsel the spirit of power the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the lord he this is why revelations calls him the sevenfold spirit look at it again and it's talking about who jesus was anointed with and now who we will be anointed with read from verse 1 a shoot will come up from the stump of jesse from his roots a branch will bear fruit it's talking about the son of david jesus christ the spirit of the lord will rest on him he is the spirit of the lord the spirit of wisdom of understanding of counsel of power of knowledge and of the fear of the lord and he will delight in the fear of the lord he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears i think i'm speaking too fast and so i'm going to slow down a little but with righteousness he will judge the needy this is too slow so you get the you get the you get the picture guys let these seeds go deep into our way of thinking huh? i know every week we are covering new ground and you have hardly caught up with last week but to the week that is ahead of you focus on these things the holy spirit has the ability to go back 3 weeks and dig out a truth that you may not remember but you have heard because it has gone into your spirit please understand how this works we are not trying to learn everything from last week and not forget we are going over it and trying to practice it this week this has to be practiced this week four weeks down the line the holy spirit will go and dig into the storehouse of your spirit and pull out whatever is necessary you won't remember it but you will know it so for me going over this this week is critical because at some point when it comes to how god governs this will come up and if this does then his government or his rule will increase unlimited through us because he says of the increase of his government there shall be no end and the zeal of the lord will accomplish it as in there's a passionate fervency that christ has when a church decides hey jesus didn't know this about you really want to explore this jesus doesn't sit back and say another day this is wow finally and he gets quite passionate about it 2 minutes to 4 let me end with this thought where will christ rule from according to isaiah 97 christ will rule from david's historic throne last week we said that david's historic throne is zion zion used to be a mountain in jerusalem today as we saw last week in hebrews 12 verse 20 to 23 today zion is the people of god this is his favorite resting place so where will god rule from god will rule from his throne which is amongst the people 
Like I've said often, the day the curtain tore in the temple, God moved out of a building and moved into a people. Um, Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. And so God has the ability to, with a militant jealousy, bring this to pass. Hebrews 12, 22 to 23. And the zeal of the Lord will make this happen. Where does he rule from? He rules from David's historic throne. That's in Isaiah 9 verse 7. So here's the last thought. Guys, this week, could you begin to think of the church as an embassy of this government? Could you begin to think of this church as the embassy of this government, embassy of this kingdom? Jesus thought so. In Matthew 16, 19, he says to Peter, hey, Peter, I'm giving you keys to this government. He uses the word kingdom. And I want you to know that whatever you open shall remain open. Whatever you shut shall remain shut. All you have to do, Peter, is to make sure that what you open is open in heaven and what you shut is shut in heaven. You are now the embassy of this kingdom here on earth and I'm giving you the keys. A few weeks later, Peter stands up in the upper room and for the first time he takes these keys, he turns it open and the kingdom is open and 3,000 people come to Christ that day. This week, think of yourself as ambassadors that actually belong to an embassy of a certain government that represents a real kingdom that is more real than any kingdom on earth. Think like this. Think like this. The Bible calls us that. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it actually says, therefore we are ambassadors of Christ and God makes his appeal through us. Therefore we are ambassadors of Christ and God makes his appeal through us. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Don't change the message, eh, guys. One of the things ambassadors across the earth are doing nowadays when it comes to Christianity is they change the message so that it's not offensive. You cannot change the message because it's offensive. But you can engage changing culture in a way that is gracious and merciful and present your message which may be received or may be rejected but you cannot change the message so that you can be less offensive it would be like the u.s ambassador coming to canada and saying yeah yeah lumber sure milk sure borders open sure and trump has said no lumber no milk no borders but you don't want to offend trudeau so you come and say all these things This embassy has only one appeal. It's a year of favor. It's a year of jubilee. It's a year of favor. It's a year of jubilee. It's a year of restoration. And then, after you announce that, you should say to them, hey, come and look at my life. Get a taste of it. Two things. Uh, we won't sing, Jane, don't worry. Um, two things. One. The, the appeal or the announcement this embassy always makes is, hey, this is the year of favor, the year of jubilee, the year of restoration. It's Groundhog Day ever since Christ came. Every year is the year of favor, is the year of restoration, is the year of jubilee. It's the 50th year. Things are being returned. Things are being restored. That which is stolen is being given back. New pathways are being opened. You get a new start, a fresh start. This is your continuous appeal. Since Christ rose from the dead, this is your continuous appeal. That hostility has ceased. Come be rescued. 
It's beautiful how it works. You say the father loves you. Then you say the son has paid the price and has ended hostility. Then you say, hey, be rescued. Then you say the Holy Spirit wants to bring you into sonship. And then you say, come join a group of people and learn the ways of God. This is the gospel. This you cannot change. What people are doing now is that they're presenting a loving God. And so people die here on earth with a lot of love. But they don't go further because you do not press in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you do not press in good and evil. And you do not present the need to be rescued from sin. One can die lovingly in your sin. And it isn't much use, man. God put it this way to Isaiah. They got deep wounds, but people keep saying, peace, peace. So once you make this appeal, that is the 50th year, there's a year of restoration. Hey, listen, if you want anything restored, you have to admit that something is broken. After you make that appeal, this is the final line. You should say, come and see. John chapter 1, verse 39. Hey guys, come and see. Hey, what time are you leaving tomorrow? Oh great, come and see. Come to my place tomorrow, we'll have breakfast. See? So I'm inviting them over to my place saying, come and see. And when they come tomorrow, they must get a taste of king and kingdom in my life, in my lifestyle, in my conversations, in what I present to them. They must. It is not enough to make an appeal and an announcement. When they come and taste my life, they must taste the king and the kingdom. That's why I love Jesus' line in John chapter 139. They ask him, Master, where do you live? He doesn't give them the address. He says, come and see. I'll give you my address. Okay. On that note, we shall end. Just put up, open up the door. I'll just sing the chorus. Open up the door. Let the music play. Let the earth resound with singing. Songs that bring your hope. Songs that bring your joy. Dancers who dance upon injustice. It's not talking about Jesus, it's talking about us. Go to the next verse. Doesn't matter. And we, and, sorry. And here we see that God you're moving. A time of jubilee is coming. When young and old return to Jesus. Fling wide you heavenly gates. We are the gate, eh? Prepare the way of the risen Lord. Chorus. Open up the doors and let the music play. Let the streets resound with singing. Songs that bring your hope and songs that bring your joy. Dancers who dance upon injustice. You! See ya.